When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is episode 134, Bad Habits to Avoid for Web Developers. I'm Matt, that is Mike, and this week we'll be talking about all of the bad developer habits that you specifically, no, all the bad all the bad developer habits uh, that uh, a lot of us do and how to avoid them. My publicist made me say it that way. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And a reminder that the Weekly Goals app is still working away. Public Trello board. You can check the progress on there. But uh, this is a Mike Heavy episode. So, Mike, please, sir, tell us all about what I'm doing wrong. And what? No, no, no. Excuse me. What the listener is doing wrong. <laughs> it's mainly it's mainly you, Matt. So this is going to be completely all of it will be directed at you. Um, but no, 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 obviously not. Uh, we all have bad habits. Let's be serious. In in general, you know, good, bad habits, like everyone, everyone has habits, even if you don't uh, sub- like consciously know that they're habits, you're going to, you're going to have a bunch of habits, like biting your nails. That's a habit, like a bad habit, obviously, um, picking at your face or whatever, like just random stuff like that. So what are habits? Um, I just read a book called Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Uh, great book. Um, for the most part, it, it kind of got a little ranty at the end, but it kind of explains to you what habits are, what habits are, and what they're used for, and how to detect that you have a habit, how to detect what's a bad habit, stuff like that. Um, there's some really crazy, insightful things that people do. Uh, companies, especially like large companies, will definitely prey on your habits. So you know, collecting all the data, seeing what you're doing. And they know based on like, you know, what your age is, where you are in life, they know what you're going to buy essentially, because what you buy is a very much a habitual thing. So really interesting read. I I recommend it. Um, But really habits are something that's built up over time and usually are due to either direct or even indirect influence. So like if it's a good or bad habit, if it's a bad habit, like, you know, you're biting your nails, um, a lot of the time you're biting your nails because maybe you're anxious. So you kind of replace the anxiety with some sort of form of uh, release for you. And that is biting your nails. If you're going to get food out of the fridge every five minutes, it's probably because you have something going on in your life that's kind of forcing you to go there. Not because you're hungry, but because again, there's some sort of influence on you, whether it be positive or negative. Um, And a big thing with these habits is because they're so ingrained and because they're so kind of subconscious, they're very difficult to change. So when I'm going to be talking about the bad habits today, there is no like one clear all solution. I'm going to tell you kind of like an idea of how to avoid a bad habit, but it has to be very consciously understood by you that these things are bad habits that you have, and it's going to take you time 
to get rid of them and change them into a habit that is better for you, essentially. Because usually how to remove a habit is really by redirecting it to something more positive, I would say. Like if you're biting your nails every time you get anxious, instead of biting your nails, you want to change it to like um, reading a page of a book or meditating or something like that. You got to change that trigger and put it to something else. Or de- detect the trigger and put it to something else. And that's that's kind of what the book was talking about. And there's a lot of other books that discuss this topic. But it's kind of it's important to understand that these habits aren't something that we can fully control off the tip of a hat. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, snap of a fingers and bam, I'm done. I'm never going to bite my nails again. Uh, this is something that is very much a something you have to put a lot of effort into, right? Um, so, again... To develop, to change or develop a habit, significant effort. That's something that I want to be a general theme in this episode because I know a lot of people that like can detect a bad habit or talk about like, oh, I'm going to change myself. I'm going to, I'm never going to procrastinate again. No, spoiler alert. Uh, and then they just kind of forget about the fact that they said that and they go on procrastinating because they think like, oh, I thought about it, therefore I'm never going to do it again. But really, it's something that's very much subconscious and very much something you have to constantly work at to change. I actually have an interesting an interesting example of developing a habit, actually. Um, <clears throat> so I have a – I mentioned it several times. I have a very old vehicle, um, and it's a 2003, uh, like, just a sedan, like, just an old car. And it was uh, just like a family sedan even back then. So, like, even back then it was just for, like uh, – like, it wasn't fancy. It's not like a luxury package or anything. And I actually treat it – like really well to the point of people are like, you know, why don't, why do you, why do you treat it so well? Like, why are you not just like, you know, throwing shit on the seats and not cleaning it and like, you know, yada, yada, or like not doing this maintenance or just like not caring about these issues or like, you know, why do you care about slamming doors and stuff? And it's because I'm trying to develop the habit of treating a car well, because in the future, if I, if, and when I get a nicer car, newer car, doesn't matter what it is, another car, I don't want to treat it like crap. Now, part of that is because I don't like to just like get rid of things or destroy things prematurely. Um, holding on to things. I usually hold on to things for longer than I should. But the point is, though, is I'm trying to develop a habit of treating the car well, treating my car well, no matter what state, what type or what it is. Because you know that if you develop a bad habit of being like, ah, this car's old and you just kind of like. I don't know, you're just kind of rough with it, right? You kind of like kick it or like, um, I don't know why you'd kick a car, but <laughs> but like uh, you just kind of slam the doors too hard. That's a common one. You just kind of slam the doors nonchalantly. Um, or if it's like really windy and you let the let the door, let the wind kind of take it, which is actually pretty dangerous, can do some pretty serious damage. But like some people will just like not, you know, treat the doors and whatever well. Uh, I know that I'll accidentally do that one day on a car that I actually like paid a lot for or like one that I just got or whatever. Also, I know that that's, that's additional wear and tear for no reason. So like, that's, but like, I've been developing this, this habit for, I guess, since I was like 17, 18. And there's still times in which you just like have a lapse where you're like, you know, you slam the trunk too hard or something, but it's still something where like, I, I check the edges, like I get it. Um, in Canada, we do this thing called like oil spray or oil undercoating. Um, to prevent rust or you can do it it's not like it's mandatory uh but i do that every year even though like the car is kind of like you know on its way out at this point like i still do that every year um 
it's that's just the way it is. Like it's just I will treat it as good as I can so that I develop the habit for when I need, I guess, to act that way. Cause I'm not gonna like buy a fancy car and just start like slamming the doors and stuff. That's that's ludicrous. Yep. And that is absolutely a really good idea. Um to treat things that you want to happen, right? So you get a fancy car, you want to treat it well, to, to start working on that right away. And by by not slamming your doors, by not putting ice cream right on your seats and stuff like that all the time, um, you are absolutely doing that and it's going to help you in the future 100%. And that's something that we I really want to drive home to the entire audience is like, if you're young right now and you know you want to develop some positive habits, start as soon as possible right? And start working on it. And it's work, 100%. Like, you have to constantly think, oh, I don't want to slam this door, right, Matt? Like, you know, maybe not right now. Right now, you've developed the habit. You've been I've doing developed it the years. habit now. I don't, I, yeah. I don't even think of it. But initially, when you're first getting in and out of a car, your parents probably told you immediately, don't slam the door, don't slam the door, don't slam the door. And you would slam the door sometimes. And they would yeah. tell you, don't slam the door. If they didn't 100%. tell you that, you would have slammed the door, slammed the door, however you want to do it, and you would have developed the habit where you always have to slam the door because you're not thinking about that kind of thing every single second of every day. You're not – like, you know, not all of your actions are well thought out. In fact, I would say most of your actions are not. They are habits. They are an automatic reaction to something that you've done a million times. And if you go into the, the you know, the sphere of getting into a bad habit, like I was saying, biting your nails, if you do that from a young age – it's going to be harder and harder and harder to get out of it. It's just it's just the truth. So you're if you're at the state where you're you know you're biting your nails and you want to stop, the best time to to start doing that is today. And just because like you know you say you want to stop, and then all of a sudden you bite your nails like a couple hours later, that doesn't mean that you're not that that you quit or that doesn't mean that you've like failed. It means that that's part of the process. Like okay, now you've caught yourself doing it. That's really important. The catch is really important because when you catch yourself, then you have to start thinking, okay, why did I do that? And then you start getting the cause. And then with the cause, you can be like, you can start cognitively thinking like, okay, now I know because X, I do Y. So now when X happens, I'll try to do something else. So you'd redirect your habit to something else, something more positive, do a push up or something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of different techniques. Again, read that the power of habit book uh they, they give some techniques i'm sure there's like there's a bunch of other articles and books that i've read about habits in, in the past that have kind of like very different variations of the same thing that that the book talks about but essentially that's uh kind of the overview but yeah thanks thanks for that matt uh let's move on to the bad habits section and we'll talk again specifically bad habits that affect web developers uh, but really, this applies to any programmer or really a lot of people learning a new technology or in a, in a, in the technology sphere and stuff like that. Uh, so first one probably affects everyone is procrastination. So this is a big one. And I wanted to start off big because it's probably the one that everyone knows the most about is like, okay, I procrastinate and I know and I, and I know that I procrastinate. Procrastination can be in many forms. You can go on Reddit, you can go on social media, uh, you can watch YouTube and get caught up in a YouTube video, you could start talking to your wife, you could, you know, play with your pets, all those things could be potential procrastination techniques, right? Um, and you could, usually, what happens is you don't even notice you're doing it. And again, that's part of that habit. That's part of the habitual process of like, you start working and all of a sudden you're on Reddit and you're like, what, what the hell happened? Or you start working and all of a sudden you're watching a YouTube video that you put on in the background. Like what the hell happened? What happened here? 
And you don't even notice it until it's kind of too late to the point where you've already wasted a bunch of time uh, that you should have been working on. And I'm not doing this to like shame anyone. I'm not doing this to say like, oh, you're a bad person for having for procrastinating. I'm doing this because as the sooner you catch it, you start catching yourself again, the sooner you can start going in the direction to avoid it. And there's a few different ways you can avoid something like procrastination. One of the main things is start learning about time management. Like I can say, you know, you know, do to-do lists. I can say, uh, get a calendar going. I can say all this stuff, but really it's a process of learning how to do time management. And for everyone out there, time management is going to be a different process for you because what works for me is like having structured to-do lists, not too structured, but like I have a bunch of Kanban boards, uh, and referring to them on a consistent basis helps me avoid procrastination, uh, as much as possible. I still procrastinate. But I'm starting to catch myself doing it every single time and I'm starting to find the triggers of what's causing it and adjusting and stuff like that. It's going to be a long process for me and I can, you know, that's okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll continue to do it. And again, the to-do lists, uh, whether they be paper or online, whatever, have started to slowly help me get out of it. That's why I'm kind of passing it on to you. But it's not a catch-all. For some people, it might be, you know, journaling. For some people, it might be keeping a very, like... um structured calendar, right? Like writing down all the things that they've done, writing down everything that they need to do on, a, on an hourly basis. Some people need more structure, some people need, people need less. But the main thing, main takeaway I want to give you is learn time management, right? Uh, there's plenty of uh, material out there to learn it. You can Google it. You can listen to other things. I'm not a time management expert, so I don't want to give like too much advice on it right now. Uh, maybe I'll get down that path at some point. We'll have a whole another episode on time management. Uh, but regardless, learn time management, start actively noticing when you're procrastinating and utilizing the skills that you're learning from your time management to kind of alienate that. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely say that. I think, I don't know, <clears throat> like procrastination for me is like, I still do it. Um, and I don't know, this, this might be a, a, a weird take on it. I don't know if I'm actively fighting it. Like, it's not like I am constantly thinking like, okay, I have to stop procrastinating. I have to stop procrastinating because I'm kind of one of those people where I think I've reached a point where I realize like I am going to procrastinate. But what I've tried to do is try to alleviate my um, distractions. So when I procrastinate, a lot of times what I do is like I like to just like watch something. I'll like throw on a YouTube video, maybe turn on the TV or whatever. Sometimes I do end up on uh, Twitter or something. But for the most part, it's usually watching something. And so one of the things, and I've mentioned this on the show before, one of the things that I that I do is I just have a show uh, or a YouTube video or what or a video podcast playing on the second monitor. And even if it's taking up some of my workspace, and even if it's eating up some of my you know productivity area via the workspace that it's eating, uh, at least I'm working at that point. Um, but I found that constantly telling myself I have to stop procrastinating, I have to stop procrastinating. I started to almost annoy myself and then I just didn't follow through. Like I can't, I'm not one to fully follow like a procedure like, oh, I have to have to-do lists for everything. I do have to-do lists. I do use them, especially if a project is really big and it's starting to get to me and needs to be broken up into spaces. But I do those type of things in the context uh, that is most appropriate for my workflow. But I just did, for example, a full website uh, a full website for a customer and I didn't use a single to-do list. I had a meeting with them. I had a couple of emails. I just referred to the email and did the whole thing. And that's just because like I just did it. And the thing is, is during while I work on it, I just have a show playing. And the thing, another thing is, is as you, as I start getting momentum working, 
uh, I will sometimes like cover, I will sometimes minimize the window, but still have the audio playing. It's like, it's almost like tricking myself. And this might be like, I don't know, I don't know if it's good, bad, good or a bad way uh, to handle it. But this is, you know, sort of how I do it is I just sort of trick myself almost into being like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still having downtime. But in reality, I am doing, you know, a customer's website or something. And um, like I said, a lot of the time the video ends up getting covered up by other windows and I kind of reclaim my workspace. But the point is, is that I'm still I'm still getting a lot done. And I do this even for for side stuff. Like if I for whatever reason, really don't want to edit like my second podcast. I don't know, make it something up. So I'm on another podcast and that's like more of a hobby. And like, let's say I just decide like, I really don't want to edit it that day, but it has to be done. It has to get put, it has to get put out. I will sometimes just put on a show and, and, and whenever I'm waiting on a process. So like if I'm waiting for like the compression to complete, maybe it would take, I don't know, 10 minutes or something. Sometimes it takes like two, but whatever. If it takes 10 minutes, I'll I'll just have a show there. I'll just press play and, and watch 10 minutes. Then I'll pause it because obviously I'm editing audio, so I got to hear it. But I'll do that on on a lot of stuff. I'll just constantly have something there kind of at the ready there to sort of trick me. Um, but like for me, like I said, and I think for a lot of people, you know, I just I it's like the I, it's like I procrastinate on the war on procrastination. It's a it's a bizarre I'm in this bizarre thing where <laughs> You know, you know, that like classic, classic sort of trope where it says like, oh, you know, you have two weeks or two months or two days or whatever it is to finish this thing. And it's only going to take a couple hours to do it. So you wait for the very last minute. And then it's like and then it's like a like a big rush to the end. I don't really wait until the very last part, very last moment, because I don't really like to be super, super stressed out like that. But I also don't, you know, start right away either. And yeah, like that could be considered bad or whatever, but I guess I'm just acknowledging that me, like I'm not a machine and I'm going to be imperfect, but I'm going to hit the deadline or I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to hit the deadline. You know, sometimes things happen, whatever, but like, I'm going to do my due diligence, not hit the deadline. And if that requires me to like trick myself, if that requires me to have podcast playing, if that requires me to have a movie playing a TV series, it doesn't matter playing in the background if that if, if that's what it requires then that's what it requires if that if, if it requires me taking you know um the evening to do it like let's say i'm just like for whatever reason i'm just really not feeling it during the day but it has to be done sometime in that 24 hours if i have to like stay up late and just do it but i took a break during the day sometimes that helps too and so like i'm just realizing that like i'll get my stuff done you know i'm the one that edits the show so obviously it comes out um I'm the one that it's a social, like obviously it comes out. I'm the one that does, you know, uh, a lot of our smaller, small business clients. So obviously that gets done. I manage a lot of our maintenance stuff. So obviously that's, obviously it's getting done, but it's just a matter of like, I think that you can, I think that you can war on procrastination, but it doesn't, but the war on procrastination doesn't have to consume you. And realistically to me, I'm actually almost giving into it via tricking myself. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Obviously, I'm not like a, I don't know what it would be, a psychologist or something. But it's just that's how I that's how I do it. And it works for me. And 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 realistically, you know, the customer uh, or yourself, if you're working on a product for yourself, like an app that you're making or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, the the process doesn't really matter. The progress does. So whatever you do to try to make progress that works. Like if whatever you're doing, if it, if it allows you to make progress, then go for it. If you're a person that needs to literally stop, like if you're, if you're a person that will like sit down and watch a movie instead of doing your work, you're going to sit down, sit there and watch a whole movie, two hour movie, or 
you're going to like turn on the movie on your computer, watch 20 minutes of it, pause, do some work for 20 minutes, pause, like pause your work and go back to the movie. I mean, is that the greatest way to do it? No, but, but like, I mean, you got 20 minutes progress, whereas before you got 20 minutes progress on a friggin' movie that didn't matter. Right. So in my opinion, like, instead of being so strict on yourself, if you're like, some people need the strictness, but for me, like, I, I just, I won't do the strictness. Like I can't do it. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to ever, I'm not going to ever fill out an agenda. It's not going to happen. I know that I've been try- they've tried to push that on us in school. It's not going to happen. So just do whatever works for you to, to get yourself to progress. Yeah. And as, again, everyone's different. Everyone's going to handle it differently. Everyone needs a kind of different structure and different motivators. One of your motivators, Matt, that you were just saying is that you don't like to do things at the last second. Like you don't want that stress of doing things at the last second. So you're, you're going to start doing it at some point before the last second. A lot of people that procrastinate, uh, will procrastinate to literally to the last second and cram everything in. And that really hinders the product that hinders the ability for them to do something. And it hinders their mental health, obviously, because they're stressing out about finishing something that they promised to finish for a certain date and they had to cram it in the last second. So the goal of this, of the, you know, anti-procrastination thing is, is to complete your goals. If you've completed your goals for the day or for the month or whatever, however, however you measure your goals and uh, you've managed to fight the procrastination monster or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's the, you know, then you won. If you're using the techniques of like tricking yourself or of procrastinating um, intentionally, because a lot of like that is a technique, intentional procrastination, that is, and, and you're achieving your goals, then you're absolutely winning in that fight. And that's important. And the other thing is that it's not a, if you are a serial procrastinator and you just can't get any work done, period, then that 20 minutes of work that Matt was talking about could be a step in the right direction. And it, it's always going to be a step. Like I said at the very beginning of this whole segment in the section is it's not a one-step process. It's not like a bam and I'm done. Like, oh, I'm procrastinating. So I know I'm procrastinating. So now I can fix it. No, it's it's going to take you some time. Making sure that you have the goals, the right, like, you know, the right goals and you're achieving everything that you want to achieve as much as possible. And again, you have to be easy on yourself because you're not a machine. So you can't like overload yourself with a bunch of crap and then be like, oh, I can't achieve it because I, you know, I I need to work 24 hours a day. That's crazy. It has to be attainable. But regardless, you'll you'll balance it out at some point. So yeah, I think that that's a good way to, uh, to kind of bring a human factor into this procrastination discussion. That's for sure. Um, but moving on here, uh, next bad habit is not documenting or commenting code. So this one I've definitely suffered from sometimes, especially when you have kind of tight deadlines and uh, very complex things that you have to write and you're just kind of just going through everything and just trying to get everything done as quickly as possible. <clears throat> I've noticed myself, I've caught myself doing this where, you know, a week goes by and I haven't wrote a single comment and I haven't, you know, added anything to the readme or like even a month goes by, I've had that happen before. And it's, it's going to bite you in the ass. Like it's just going to happen because if you don't comment anything, if you don't document anything a month later, two months later, someone's going to ask you a specific question or a bug's going to pop up that you didn't think about and you didn't test. And you're going to have to go back and reread what you've written. And if it's gibberish, then you're going to have a bad time. It's just the the truth of it. So it's important to get in the habit of properly documenting and commenting code early. Now, having said that, 
documenting too much and commenting too much is also a bad habit. So getting into that middle, learning what should be documented, what should be commented is part of the process of getting, of getting started. So when you're going into the, you know, the, you know, coding for a company or coding for yourself and maintaining a larger code base, you should also think about, okay, how am I, how does documentation work? How does commenting work? Just in general, let's say like a general rule that I have is when I go and I write like a code for a couple hours or something like that, I like to go back and I reread my code top to bottom and I read it like a book. And I'm like, okay, this is the, this does that, this does that. Now, yes, it's fresh in my mind, but also I can usually pick up on what's gibberish and what's not. So sometimes I'll have like, you know, a random for loop, uh, and variables named with I and A and B, like those are bad variable names. I don't do that very often, but sometimes when you're writing something fast, you do it uh, for testing and stuff like that. And at that point, I'm like, okay, what's this, what's this for loop doing? Like, why, why is it iterating over this thing? That's when I know I have to document something. That's when I know I have to refactor something. And that's when I know when I have to comment it. When I can read it like a book left to right and top to bottom, usually that means I've written it well enough that I can just kind of leave it. So that's my general rule of thumb. But in my opinion, again, it's one of those things where you really do have to learn the process of documentation and commenting uh, so that you're not going too much and you're not doing too little. My take on this, too, is uh, just to kind of add to what you said is a lot of the stuff that I've been doing lately is we have like a couple migrations coming up and uh, there's been migrations and there's been um, other sort of sort of more techni- technical mix with logistical tasks like um, – uh, doing updates and then like fit, like testing the updates after and stuff like that. And for and so one of the things that I did for myself actually was I did this really weird workaround where we had to do it was a WordPress thing. I'm not going to get into it, but the point is I did this really weird workaround for a customer uh, that was like pretty complex, but it basically it made this weird bug of which it was a bug, you know, not on our side. Um, it was this bug kind of go away, uh, and so not go away. It was like. It was a workaround not to fix the bug, but it was a workaround so that the customer didn't even realize there was a bug. So that's why I made it complex. And I did that just so the customer could click this button instead of like doing all this workaround stuff. But anyway, to get back to the real topic, what I did was I realized that one of the areas that I changed, I think it was a core file or something like that. I can't exactly remember now. Um, Then this is the reason why I did this is I left myself a note where I knew I would look. So I just left myself a note where I was like, damn, like. Why the hell is this thing not working? I remembered I fixed this a while ago and like, why can't I do this? And I left myself a note in the spot where I thought I would. And it literally like explained it to me. And it was like a private note. Like if anyone else read that, you know, they, you'd probably understand that some of the jargon was about WordPress, but you wouldn't understand exactly what the heck I was talking about because there was no context given um, short of the, the directory of the folder that it was in. But that is exactly that's like that is exactly what I did was I just left myself a note. And that's, you know. To some people, they'd be like, oh, you should have documented it more clearly, blah, blah, blah. But I knew I was going to be the one doing this. So sometimes, you know, leaving yourself a note where you know you're going to need the documentation for yourself, it just saves you like a, like a whole bunch of headaches. Like it's just that just saved my time. I had a code snippet. I had everything and I was just ready to go. So that's my two cents. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that And that's a good example. Like when you know that you're going to need this or if someone else on your team is going to need it or someone in the future is going to need it uh, because it's something that you change that's critical or something that you change that you know could break in the future. That's a perfect like, you know, mental image or mental uh, click to you definitely should comment that. 
and yeah you'll and the thing is like you'll get better at it with time because you'll know what uh what will be a problem and what won't be and the only way to kind of know that is with experience so don't beat yourself up too much at the beginning um learn how to code and stuff like that and with that will come the intuition of when to document and comment so moving on here uh being afraid of new technology i've noticed this one uh pretty big in web developers um because because of the fear and it's it's pretty established and rightfully so of like all the new stuff that keeps coming out. So there's a constant like, you know, stream of new frameworks, new tools, new coding like languages, like full on languages for web development. Uh, I know Rust just recently came out and stuff like that. Like there's a bunch of new stuff constantly coming at you at all times. And what happens is as you get ingrained into a project or as you get ingrained into a company and you have these routines and these habits you start to kind of throw everything that's new to the side. You don't even want to hear it. So you're sitting in a meeting and, you know, one of your new developers mentions Vue and you're like, no, we're using jQuery and that's it. Like, I don't even want to hear you mention any other topic. And while in, on one hand, yes, you're, you know, you have an established language and an established stack that works for everything and that's great. And that could be very beneficial, especially in an agency situation where you just need to pump stuff out quickly. On the other hand, stuff changes quickly in the web sphere. So if you're using, you know, jQuery 1.0 uh, or whatever constantly, and you all, all of a sudden get a client that needs some sort of complex functionality, and now you're using jQuery to do this complex functionality that will take you three, four, five times the amount of time that would just like, you know, using a reactive framework like Vue or React would take you now you're wasting money now you're just burning money because you were afraid to learn something new and even hear about something new and like this can really manifest in a lot of different ways right like it could be you know uh you not reading any of the web developer news you not listening to your other the other developers around you you being a solo developer and refusing to take advice from anyone and stuff like that like it could manifest in a bunch of different ways but if you catch yourself on this uh it can kind of you can avoid it. And one thing that uh, is interesting is, or one idea that I have, for, for me, this isn't a problem because I like new technology. Like being part of HAT uh, has kind of pushed me into like just constantly keeping up with the new web technology sphere. So I'll check all the new, you know, headless CMSs out there. I'll check the new backend Dinos and uh, Node.js. Anything anything new that comes out, I'm like, okay, what's what's going on here? So it's definitely not not a bad habit of mine, but I've seen it happen. And something that you could use to avoid it is like, again, being more open-minded, but that's difficult to do. But if you just go out there and maybe spend a little bit of time once a week, once a month, just reading, you know, dev.2, just reading the top posts for the month or top posts for the week, that will give you a good overview of what's going on in the industry. And as long as you're seeing what's going on in the industry, you can track the trends. So like if you did that on a monthly basis, you would notice, oh, you know, Something called React is starting to pop up more and more and more. And when you see React pop up like four or five months in a row, then maybe that's a, an indicator for you to actually look into it. Get one of your junior developers on it or something like that. Like, is it, is it worthwhile to pursue? Maybe it's not. Like, it's very possible that, you know, all this new technology is not. But if you're at least open to it, you can find tools, you can find libraries, you can find frameworks, you can find... Um, solutions that you would have never found before to help you kind of move your business forward and actually provide better content better uh, a better product for your consumer or your customer 
and a better experience for your developers. Because again, another kind of symptom of this, of being afraid of new technology is when you're bringing on new developers, they're going to be uh, ups- not upset. I don't think I don't think upset is the right word, but they're not going to be as motivated uh, to learn new things. They're not going to be as motivated to kind of advance in their careers in your company. They're going to be looking for a way out, especially if they just come out from like a you know accelerator program or a boot a boot camp that's using all these new technology, and they're they're going to go into your you know jQuery 1.0 world and no bend on that uh, and try to get out as quickly as possible, essentially. And that I've seen that happen. I've heard people talk about that, and it's just it's not the I in my opinion it's not the right way to go. You should always be at least available and open to hearing about it and. Obviously, it goes both ways. You shouldn't be going all over the place, especially if you have an established client base and established business. You shouldn't be trying new things every week or every month even, but you should at least be open to hearing about them. Yeah, I think I think, um, I think think there's a difference between as well, like, I don't know how you describe this, but like I mentioned this on the show where we've, we've been combating... We've been combating, you know, having too many different code bases, too many different tools, too many different customers on too many different things. So, like, someone's on, someone's on Webflow, someone's on WordPress, this guy's on custom, that guy's on typo, this guy, like, it's just, it's like a, it's craziness, like, it's it's too much. So, when somebody calls, and it's like, hey, you know, my contact form stopped working, it's like, well, <clears throat> are they using the contact form, I think it's called contact form 7 plugin on WordPress, or was it PHP mailer, was this totally a custom thing, was this some other weird thing, like, uh, I, I don't know, like, did we even do it, are they paying, like, MailChimp for, you know, are we embedding a MailChimp form, uh, what is it, right, and it becomes this, like, really bizarre this really bizarre sort of take on technology. And because, you know, you or we expanded so much, we're trying to con- be trying to compact into a few different code bases. Like we, we fully acknowledge not everyone can fit into the same code base, but we're trying to use, let's say, WordPress more. You know, some people might cringe in the audience, but we're trying to use WordPress more because WordPress is great for people that want to extend uh, their functionality on a whim. Like they, when they, if they call and they go, Hey, I, w- I really want to take like really advanced surveys for my customers and, and they're on a budget and they don't want to use, you know, third party services for everything. There's WordPress plugins for that, right? There's, there's, or, Hey, I, I'd really like for us to have like uh, a way cooler looking slider. Well, instead of you again, going out and looking for new tools, uh, you can look for those tools right on WordPress and you know that they're compatible, they're right there, and they can be added within the WordPress editor for the most part. And so, like, we're kind of uh, compacting, um, pulling back, whatever you want to call it, uh, our code base thing. But when I say that, I think a lot of people get stuck in that. Like, we're starting that, but a lot of people get, like, they, like, use that, like, okay, now that we've compacted, now that we've come back into this really, like, tiny little, like, okay, there's three code bases in our tool set and that's it. They become scared because they become comfortable. Uh, they become comfortable with what they're doing. They become comfortable with what they're on. And they are scared of adding that fourth code base. They're scared of adding that fifth tool, if you know, whatever it is. And so I think... What you kind of need to do is you kind of need to realize and like I'm kind of starting to do this because I'm actually a pretty high anxiety person. And like I'm trying I'm starting to realize that like it's okay 
to like go and actually explore something because I'm only exploring it. And I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very like anxious about losing data. Like I'm, that's one of the things I'm really like worry about all the time, but I'm also a person I'm worried about losing data, but I'm also a person that's like really impulsive. And so I, it's like, it's like a perfect storm of me going around being like, I don't want any new tech. And then showing someone showing me a new web tech and I'll be like, that's cool as hell. We should move all our customers to it. Like there's that impulse, right? So it's like, I'm scared and then I get impulsive. So what I'm finding is, is like, there's nothing wrong with you exploring new tech on your downtime on, on your whatever, like if your work, you know, has some downtime, if your work has a period of discovery, like if they give you an hour at the end of the day, or I don't know, whatever it is that you're working thing, whatever your working environment allows, you know, there's nothing wrong uh, with that. And what Mike and I have been discussing quite a bit too, is I've, I've started watching, uh, I think his, I, I don't even know the guy's name, <laughs> but I've watched a bunch of his content. And I think, I think his, his uh, YouTube channel is like create a pro site or create a pro website or something, but he has a bunch of like passive income initiatives and like web dev stuff and whatever. And I'm just trying to keep my ear to the ground of the sort of like web dev field. And then I, I watch, I listen to other influencers as well, but what I'm noticing is there's like, there's a lot of really cool tools out there. And this guy, he just reaches out for tools. Like he just, he's like, oh, I need like this. So he just reaches out for it. Oh, I need this. And he has like, you know, all these tools at his disposal. And Mike and I will, will, when we have conversations about tools, like I'll usually come in and be like, we should use this tool. And then I like, you know, sort of present it like you would, but I'm like impulsive. Like, I'm like, we should do this. This is going to revolutionize everything. And like, I get all like fired up over it. But then, and then it becomes like, we, we spend so long making the decision and now the excitement's gone. And then now Mike is like, you know, Mike and I are like, well, maybe we do it, but now the excitement's gone. So then we just sort of like let it pass by and go back to our comfort zone. So I think like the 80, 20 rule that I think Mike already mentioned is like super important, but what we're doing is, um, I don't know if you already mentioned this, Mike, but what you were doing, what we're doing is like, we're doing the 80, 20, um, rule across both of us. So instead of like Mike doing the 80/20 rule and I'm doing the 80/20 rule, the company is doing the 80/20 rule basically. So I'm doing more of the 20% and Mike is doing more of the 80%. So like I'm out there using my impulsive self being like, "Oh, let's check this, let's check that, let's check this, let's check that." But because I'm also scared of using losing data, I'm still doing a little bit of that 80% where I'm using the old tech to do our backups and to keep our customers happy and to do a little bit of maintenance here and there and to help people and like, you know, track whether we need to do updates and, you know, whatever, the list goes on, right? And like, you know, taking support calls and stuff like that. So I'm doing that, but I'm also I'm doing the majority of my job like is starting to get into and this is what our goal is, is I should be doing most of that 20 percent. I should be seeing what sticks. I should be seeing what uh, what works. I should be seeing what tools we should use, what tools don't work. Like we've used tools recently, actually. We've used tools where I've tried the demo, liked it, signed up, don't like it. And like it took us so long to decide to sign up. And it's like we could have came to this conclusion so much faster. So like it, whereas it's good to not be super impulsive like me or super anxious like me. So don't be like me, no, but like the point of the matter is like everything in moderation, including the discovery phase, like don't be too scared, but don't be too impulsive. Have that middle ground where you're like, you're all fired up about it. Okay, great. 
don't deny yourself the excitement, but like maybe sleep on it or something or talk to your business partner. Like I talked to Mike about it or talk to like uh, other devs or whatever it is, like your mentor or like someone on Reddit or however you communicate, you have someone in your community and you can say, hey, hey, guys, like I found this really cool thing. And if they're all like that thing's a piece of crap, that thing has this issue, that thing is then, you know, like, oh, maybe this is a piece of crap. Like maybe this is a, this is garbage that I shouldn't be using. And the benefit of us doing the 80-20 rule across us is that I'm able to just keep trying different things, or I'm, I'm starting to transition to this, where I can just keep trying new things, look out new things, see if we can make money, seeing what sticks. And our actually, our web news will be talking more in depth about this, so I won't get too into it. But I, I really want to see what sticks, and then I, I really want to see what sticks, and then Mike can sort of like hold the fort down, and I'm just there supporting him holding the fort. But I'm also trying new things so that if the foundations of that proverbial fort collapse because like of age, like let's say whatever, like, I don't know, PHP is gone. That'd be crazy. But like PHP is gone. I'm out checking out new tech where I can be like, Mike, don't worry about it. Come over here. Like, I know where it is. It's not like we're both in the fort, like collapsing, being like, what do we do? Too scared to move, but too scared to leave. Right. So we have that spread. And I, again, I don't want to get too, too into this uh, because we will be talking about this in the web news, but that's my that's my take on being afraid of new tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, just, just to clarify the 80-20 rule, because I don't think I've clarified it yet. Uh, it's and I, the idea of like taking a portion of, let's say, a work week and dedicating that to doing the exploration part, right? So trying new things. And this is, this come from like industries, um, l- large companies. I know Google does has done this for a long time and uh what so what they do is you know monday tuesday wednesday thursday you're working on your regular project like the project that you were assigned that's your important thing on friday they give you the day or maybe half a day whatever 75 percent of the day to work on anything you want so it's up to you you want to try a new technology you want to start a new project work on anything you want now obviously like with google when you're working on anything you want, it's still part of Google. Like if you're going to be working on a project, you can't be working on your own thing on the side. But whatever you do can be whatever you want. So you can start a new project for Google. I know uh, apparently Google Maps started from the 20 rule on the 20% from one of the employees. So you just started a you know a, a map and it, it evolved into something else. So that's the idea behind it. So it, it, what it does is that it gives you an outlet to try new things and it gives you an excuse to try new things and those new things could develop into something and they could not like they could be a waste of money maybe maybe you're going to try you know buying and selling websites or something as one as your 20 percent and you're going to invest like a little bit of money into it and then it's going to fail whatever it's only the 20 percent. you still have your 80 percent, which is your main income and your main uh like you know job so that's the idea of the 80 20 rule i think it really applies to this exact uh you know, bad habit. I wanted to kind of bring it up at some point during this, but I think it's a really good, you know, cornerstone of like learning new technologies, trying new things, stuff like that, getting out of that, being afraid of new technology. So with that, uh, let's move on to the next one, which is getting stuck in tutorial hell. So we've talked about tutorial hell like a million times on this podcast because we get approached by people stuck in it all the time. Like we get approached by people talking about tutorial hell, uh, or talking talking to us about being like I've been in school for eight years, like trying to become a web developer. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Stuff like, it's true. Like it's we've had people talk talk to us like like that. 
Um, and I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with being in school and doing the traditional schooling route and all that. But at some point, it becomes the process of you avoiding going into the industry or avoiding trying it out. You're 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 using uh, the excuse of getting a better education or like taking this one last course or taking this one last thing to avoid putting yourself out there, which again, it's one of those things. It's one of those bad habits that like is inherent. It's like, it's something that's totally normal because you don't want that rejection. You don't want the chance of failing and you're using an excuse of learning more before you get out there to minimize your chance of failing. But really what it's doing is extending your time before you actually start your career or start your job. You're going to fail. It's going to happen. You're going to have a project that's going to go badly. You're going to have a, like, you know, you're going to have a a decision that you make that wasn't correct. You're going to have a code that you write that's bad. It's going to happen regardless of how much schooling you have or regardless of how many tutorials you, you, you do. The only way to get past it is to just do it is to go into it, do a project, you know, like do your own project, get some client work, whatever, get into the habit of like trying something as fast as possible in your learning career. If you're learning in high school right now, if you're in high school listening to us right now, and you want to become a web developer, you want to become a programmer, start coding. We talked about it last week with uh, Monarch on the podcast with the, with our guest. His whole theory is as well, like just code. Just go out there and code because the more you code, the more you'll figure out these little gotchas, the more you figure out the the process of completing a project from start to finish, the more hireable you'll be, the more advanced you'll get in your career um, and stuff like that. Like all these, yeah, yes, like obviously, you know, the tutorials that you listen to, the, the, the traditional schooling that you do have a role to play in your education, in your uh progress inside of a career but it means nothing without the coding element of it we're in a we're in a unique industry where if you know how to code regardless of your education you can probably get a job and you can probably start making money online somehow that's the unique position that we're in in terms of web developers programmers etc so the faster you get to the point where you can you know sit in front of a code editor and code up a web page or code up an, a web app, the faster you're going to be to getting into a web development career. I think a lot of it too, um, and I don't know whether this would be controversial or p- people might have arguments against this, but I would say a lot of it is is due to how the school system works as well to an extent. So what I mean by that is the school system, at least here in Canada and probably in a, a, lot, a lot of other places in the world, it, it teaches us to wait for permission uh, a lot of the time. And I and it's weird to not have guidance or to not have a reason to do something. Like if you think about schooling, right, um, at least the way we experience it, it's like we get told to do these assignments. We get told what lesson we're doing. We get told what unit we're doing. We get told what subject we're doing. And you're kind of like in that institution from a young age, you know, five or earlier, uh, like I said, at least here in Canada, all the way through when you graduate high school, 18, 19, something, um, something like that. So like you're kind of in that institution and you could be in that institution well into your 20s as well. Uh, if you do post-secondary immediately after high school, right? After secondary school. So, you know, it, it really, you get you get taught, like, 
you wait to do stuff, really. You know, college is a little bit different. University is a little bit different where you have to be a little more of a self-starter. But really, you're still waiting for permission. You're still waiting to do um, – you're still waiting for someone to tell you to do something. Like, you're not going to just randomly decide to do some random assignment. You have to wait for the teacher to tell you what to do and when to do it and how to do it and what questions that the teacher wants answered. That's just how we're taught. In public schools, you have to ask to use the washroom. You have to ask to go, like, I don't know, grab a Kleenex or something. You have to ask to do everything short of, like, sitting there in class. And, like, the freedoms kind of go up uh, in schools. Like, you kind of start, like, going to different classes and you can have, like, spares, which where in which you don't have class and stuff like this in high school. And, like, as you go through, it's like, you know, you start with one teacher, then you have many teachers, then you can manage your classes, then, you, like, then you can start, like, you know, skipping classes if you're confident in it, although it's not suggested and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, the freedoms go up, but it's still like a cliff of permission it's like literally it's like you get to the end whether you're at the end of college or the end of just high school or even if you dropped out of school all of a sudden you no longer are asking permission to do anything and it feels weird like it feels very bizarre to not have someone be like and today you know i'm gonna ask you to get your master business license you know there's no one asking or telling you to do that and i think that's a lot that's a lot of the reason why a lot of people go get a job because and there's nothing wrong with that. Like you go get a job because now you have someone telling you what to do again. And like, that's kind of what we've been taught. But if you're trying to be a self-starter, this is, I think, a big piece of getting stuck in tutorial hell is because no one's telling you to read that video or read that uh, article. No one's telling you to watch that video. No one's telling you to go to Udemy. No one's telling you to go to Skillshare. No one's giving you a, an assignment to listen to six podcasts on the topic you're listening to. No one's telling you that you have to watch these 10 videos and then write a report about it. No one's telling you to do it. But here's the thing. It's so common in schools for that to be the assignment. Read this, watch this, whatever, that I think it leads to two things. It leads to tutorial hell, which is what we're talking about right now. And it leads to something we just talked about, which is procrastination. I think I think that waiting for permission, like you may never watch those videos that you really want to watch. Why? Procrastinating. Why? Potentially, potentially one of the reasons is because you're waiting for permission. You're like effectively waiting for someone to tell you to do them. You're waiting for that assignment. And then if you're a person that's like, well, in school, I used to just always watch videos or like, uh, you know, watch videos to learn how to do this. Or I would read all these reports or like whatever you're doing in school. You know, this is what I would do. So then you default to tutorial hell. You default to literally going to post-secondary. You default to literally going in and just doing – making notes on YouTube videos because it's as close to the thing that you had permission to do for potentially most of your life at that point. And I think that that is, I think it that waiting for permission can lead to those two things, procrastination, but more commonly than not, I'm, and I don't have numbers, or this is just me personally, my personal opinion, I think it, it honestly leads to tutorial hell. It's because you're, you're reiterating what the institutions have taught us. And again, it's not like it's a bad thing. Of course, we need to go to school. You want to go to post-secondary, that's great. I'm not saying not to. But it is weird when you're done university or college or high school or you drop out and then it's just like... The next day, what is there to do? There's no teacher telling you, there's no school telling you what time to show up and no teacher telling you what we're going to be reading that morning. You just woke up and now what's the next thing? It's very strange that there's no institution guiding you. 
And I think that that's a big piece of tutorial hell and procrastination. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with uh, at least one of the reasons for tutorial hell. Like our the education system definitely does not promote self uh, decision making, like, you know, decision making on your own. And maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. Uh, that, that, that maybe is the controversial thing. But um, yeah, that I think the big thing, again, with these habits that I'm talking about and I, what you brought up, Matt, is realizing why you're doing something. So if you are sitting there and you're in like that tutorial hell phase and Matt just spoke to you kind of right into your head saying that, hey, you're probably doing this because you were told to do this for your entire life and now you're you're trying to change it, but it's really difficult. Yeah, because it's a bad, or maybe not a bad habit, but it is a habit. You're absolutely, you absolutely developed a habit over years to be able to, to, to wait until the teacher tells you what to do next. And now you're in this position where you're the one that has to tell yourself what to do next and you don't know what to do. So you're deferring to another pseudo teacher, which is a tutorial or a, or a course or a project or not a project, but like, you know, so, something that d- stops you from coding. So knowing, again, is, is one of the biggest parts. Knowing what's stopping you is one of the biggest parts of eventually beating a bad habit. And if you consider, you know, not if you consider being in the web development industry as a self-starter and something stopping you from doing that to be a bad habit, then yes, tutorial hell is absolutely there. And this is the first step for you to avoid it. So yeah, that's a really good point, man. Thank All you. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Next thing here is over-engineering. Um, so this one's fairly simple. Uh, sometimes when you go into a project, you start to over-plan. You start to kind of, you know, you know, it's a to-do list app, let's say, uh, as an example. And you're like, okay, uh, you know, how do I build this to-do list app? So now you start, you bring, you bring out all the Gantt charts. You bring out all the, you know, every part of the, your planning arsenal, all the, you know, requirement charts and stuff like that. Um, and you start to plan your systems like, okay, so I'm going to, you know, for, for this to-do list, I'm going to make sure that the all users that are connected all at the same time can make a to-do, a to-do list all at the same time to make sure that they're all concurrently working on it. There's no delays, you know, stuff like that. You start to overcomplicate something that's simple in, in, in essence. And what that does is it, again, puts you in the state of not coding and not doing the project. And you're constantly like, it's an anxiety thing because when you're developing a system, you start thinking about all the worst things that could happen and you start developing systems to stop the worst things that could happen. And that's normal. But if you think about it, anything can happen. So like you could, you could develop a to-do list app and all of a sudden, you know, 10 million people can use it all at once and your system can crash. It's possible. Right, like out of, not out of the out of, not out of the realm of possibility, and if you're thinking that way right from the beginning, I'm going to tell you right now, you're never going to get it done. It's just not going to happen. Like if if you're going to start solving all the problems that could potentially happen to your application or your website before they before they happen, you're not going to finish that project because again, those problems can be infinite, and you can keep getting into that situation where you're again you're over engineering a solution that shouldn't be over engineered. So the way to avoid that is taking some time before you start a project and figuring out how you want this project to evolve. Break it out into phases. Take take the simplest thing you can do in the project and just start working on that simple thing, right? And as soon as you start putting, you know, 
code down on a piece of, not, not paper, but code down in your editor. And as soon as you start getting a product to perform, that's steps into avoiding over-engineering. Because the over-engineering phase mostly occurs in the planning stages. And when you're planning and you're planning for weeks and weeks and weeks and you have this massive you know, chart of what, you're going, of what you want to create, that will for sure overwhelm you or your team, or however you want to call it, like whoever is in charge of developing it, and it's going to cause either delays or complete failure of project and et cetera, et cetera. So what you, you need to try to avoid solving for every possible reality. You have to start small and work your way up. You can't you can't solve the whole thing at once. That I mean, that's one way of that's one way of solving this. There's probably other more efficient ways, maybe, but that's how we do it. I like any project that we work on, Matt and I, uh, myself and the other team, the other development teams that I work on, we always break it down into phases because we can't like we we usually have one day or one session where we're like, okay, what can this project become? Right? And we just throw out everything that we could possibly throw in the project. And we put that into a backlog, like in some, into some sort of task management backlog, right? We never like say that we're going to do that. And then we have another meeting where we go through that backlog and be like, what's critical to the success of the first phase of this project? And we pick it out and we scrutinize every single decision we make. Like, do we really need that, like, uh, you know, the password reset form right away? Is that something that we need? Like, is that something that the application will not work out with? Maybe we, maybe we put that into phase two right? Do we really need the social media marketing material like right away before we even start programming this? No, maybe that can be phase two, you know, stuff like that. Like you literally scrutinize every single task that you create. And what that does is as a team or as yourself, however you want to, however you're doing a project, you're going to come out with something that you can do, something that's feasible to accomplish within a, a you know, a, a decent amount of time. And that's how you kind of go get, get over the over-engineering phase. I actually, Funny enough, I actually tweeted about this, like as of recording this before, before recording this, I tweeted something about over-engineering and I said something along the lines, paraphrasing from my tweet is that, you know, over-engineering, like like I've seen landing pages over-engineered to the point where the amount of like plugins and libraries that the people were using, like the commands used to download and set up those plugins and libraries was more text or like a comparable amount of text to the vanilla like HTML and CSS they could have used. Like there's been times where I've spent more time screwing up, like screwing around and like with a some random like library trying to get it to work when I could have just built three divs in div in uh, Flexbox and just called it a day. Like there are times where there are times, especially now with things like, I don't know, jQuery and headless this and this new CMS and like, oh, let's use WordPress in this way. And oh, let's use, you know, 18 plugins for WordPress to do this one little tiny thing. And hey, let's do let's do this this other thing. Let's get uh, let's get some known modules in here. Let's you know, let's use Node.js for this. No, let's use this. Oh, let, you know what? Let's change. A big one is uh, uh, indie games. If you're into gaming, indie games like, oh, we, we just decided to change engines like what are you doing like you're changing the whole foundation of the game it's like oh we decided to change engines because of this reason and it's just like why don't you just engineer it you know the way it has to be sometimes you need to make drastic choices like that and like i'm not a game dev but like there's a lot of times where you know you don't need that new that new engine to complete your if you want to do that later go ahead to complete your goal right now uh in web dev like you don't need 
Gatsby and like 1400 other plugins to have a contact form on a single page. You know, I'm sorry, but you don't. And it would just be faster to do it in vanilla. And maybe if you don't know vanilla, maybe it wouldn't and whatever. You can argue those cases, but that's still over-engineered. It's still too much. You know, the solution is over-engineered or literally the technology being used is over-engineered, meaning that it has too many options for your use case. You're reaching for the wrong tool for the job. But that not saying that tool is bad necessarily, just that tool is not right for your job. But people always reach, that'd be like saying like reaching for a Swiss army knife every single time you want to have dinner and have like a steak dinner. Instead of just grabbing a steak knife or just a knife and like eating it with a fork and knife like a, like people do, you just grab a, a, a Swiss army knife every single time. Why? Because you might need the corkscrew on there. Like what the hell? Like for what reason? Like, how many knives do you need? There's probably three in there, two in there at least. You need the bottle opener while you're cutting that steak and to crack a beer and and cut the like. Come on, you know what I mean? Raw, choose the right tool for the right job. Don't over engineer. Yep, exactly. And like, there are cases uh, where maybe choosing you know a, a, a full stack for a landing page would make sense. Um, like if you're First of all, if you're really well versed in like a Gatsby stack, right? Like if you if that's what you do every single day or that's what you learn from the get go, uh, doing that will be ten times faster for you than coding it up in Java in regular JavaScript. Now we always promote uh, learning basic JavaScript, HTML, and CSS right up off the get go, so that you have a good understanding of what you're using and what tools you're using and how they work. Um, but not everyone does that, obviously, and we're, we're not. Like, you know, we know that other people learn just like the stack and that's it. And that's what they use for landing pages. But again, it's a really important concept to be like, do I really need to, again, if you're, especially if you're just starting out, do I really need to learn Gatsby, Tailwind, uh, Webpack, all that to get phase one of this project done, right? So now you're, now you're overcomplicating, overengineering it for yourself, not only from a perspective of like, you're using something that's way too over, way too powerful for something so simple. But you're also now having to learn all this stuff on top of the stuff that you've already learned just to get phase one started, and that's going to stop you. Like that's going to that's going to defer you from getting the project done. Now, again, if you're in a situation where time doesn't matter and you're getting paid for your time and you're working for a company, maybe it makes sense to do that. But when you want to get a project done as quickly as possible, or when you're learning, especially, you want to get Again, writing code as quickly as possible because that's what's going to make you a better coder. So with that being said, let's move on to the next one here is being obsessed with efficiency. So this is another one of those things where you kind of overreach your bounds. And every time that you want to create something, you need to create it. You need to make it so that it's the fastest thing possible, right? So let's say you have a, again, a to-do list. And again, the, the concept is you want the to-do list to perform at max capacity, at max speed at all times. So now what you're going to do is you're going to build it with just pure JavaScript for every single little thing. You're going to build all your own functions. You're going to put it on uh, you know, a massive CDN. You're going to pay for that massive CDN. And what this does is that, again, it stops you from getting to your goal of building a good to-do list application. Right, because you're going to get down in the bureaucracy and down in the complexity of making something 
the fastest and best it could possibly be. Like, you know, writing the shortest amount of code. You know, I, you know, I want this entire function to be one line. I've heard that said like multiple times before. Like, I want to make sure that we have all our functions are like five lines and less. Why? Why do you want that? Because it's going to run 0.000005 like milliseconds faster. Why, why does that matter to you? Like, are, are you, are you developing your application to be run on computers that were built like 20, 30 years ago? If that's the case, then yeah, sure. That makes sense. But if you're developing for modern computers and modern applications, you don't have to worry about processing power to that degree. You could use Vue, you can use React, you can use regular JavaScript functions and not have to, you know, put them all in one line. You don't need to worry about making everything as small and efficient as possible to get the job done. Now, if you're build it again in phases, first phase could be just get it done. Second phase could be let's add some features. Third phase could be let's make it more efficient. That's fine. Because now you're focusing on different things. And now if you're focusing on efficiency when it's already generating, you know, either interest or revenue or whatever, that's a different conversation. But if you're using efficiency as an excuse to not build something, that could be a serious problem. And that could carry over to all the other projects that you work on. And therefore, again, it becomes this habitual thing that you're constantly worrying about, you know, that extra line of code that you have to write. And now you're thinking about, okay, if I have to let, write, let, write this line of code, maybe I can all do it in one line. Maybe I should rewrite this and you keep rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and you're never going to get it done. That also, like, you should also not write your code or even like, I mean, lately I've been doing my la my latest project that I'm working on right now is actually on Webflow. And I like to make my class names efficient. But the thing is, is like, you know, you can kind of fight for efficiency, but as the project gets more complex, like as the customer starts asking for changes or asking to try changes more importantly, so you have like have to make a new class name because you didn't want to like keep the old ones. You just want to like display none that and like build a new one. But now the go all the good class names are taken, uh, meaning CSS classes like what you what you would want is, you know, to make good make good structure. You can do that, but then have nice class names and have good combo classes and whatever else on there. And because of the complexity, it's going to get messy. Like it's going to get a little messy. Yeah. Don't just start naming things like div two and stuff like that, but it's going to get a little bit messy. Like there's no way to keep it inefficient, but here's the thing. You can always go back and refactor it. Like don't treat it like as if you can't refactor it. The client cares about the progress, not the process. They don't care about the process for the most part. And I think I've said that on Discord today or something, but like it's 100% true. Like I was trying to keep this one client's because like there's this there's this part of the the page where like we've we've edited this thing for like over 10 hours. Like this is, you know, it's a it's a big it's a big piece. I don't want to get into it because it's not public yet, but it's a big piece on the site. We've edited how the text is laid out and how like it looks and how it interacts and what the actionables are. We've done this. God, I don't know. 30 times, 10 times. I don't know. It's a lot. Right. And. There's class names and divs and hidden things and stuff out of order and things with wrappers and wrappers and wrappers that don't need to be in. And there's divs everywhere. Like it's a disaster. But the thing I'm thinking is like I was trying to keep it efficient yesterday and I did do a couple things where I like, oh, I don't actually need this. Delete it. You know, don't be crazy. Like, don't be like, oh, I'll just add like 10,000 divs, but also work at a pace in which the progress is good. Um, but the and the process is clean. But don't make the don't make it so clean that the progress doesn't happen. And I can always go back later when we finally say this section's done. Okay, go into here, delete all this crap. 
fix these class names, delete all this other crap. I can always go back and do that. And I think that people act like as if it's one and done. It isn't going to be one and done. Even if you make a super efficient progress, let's say, for example, I go in there and I'm a little messy. I don't know. Like, let's say Mike and I are racing on a Webflow project. I don't know. Exact same project. Let's just say it's basic website, five pages, one form. Every, everything else is informational, right? Easy. So you do your five pages, have all your styles. That's great. Then you have your form. Let's just say we take these to real clients. The real clients want to start adding stuff. Immediately, that's already messing with your system. Now, here's the thing. If I was being really efficient and fighting for efficiency the whole time, maybe my editing would be a little bit more pleasant than Mike's. But Mike probably got his five page plus form uh, site out in three days because Webflow is really fast. So like three days, two days, I don't know. But like me, I might be like a week, two weeks, week and a half, whatever, because I fought the I fought for it. And then the client comes in and just destroys it anyway. So there's no point like there's a point to keeping it clean. Here's here's probably a thing. Don't allow it to get all dirty. Like don't allow like there to be a just, you know, divs everywhere. Like just don't make it a mess. Don't allow things to get messy. Don't allow things to get all over the place. Divs all over the place. Too many wrappers, too many weird, like too many terrible non-identifying like class names or you don't can't be like div 74. What's this for? You know, like none of that or like try to avoid that as much as you can. Right. Try to avoid as much as you can. But the thing is, is like. Don't let it get messy, but don't let it be pristine is probably the way to put it. Don't don't let the pristineness of something stop you from delivering something on time. Mm-hmm. Don't let five milliseconds of extra load time make you go back and rewrite an entire section and make you you know change the way you code for a whole week. Essentially, like I've I've, I've seen that argue like I constantly see those arguments being made like oh you know why don't you use this sort method in this instead of this sort method? It, this one's like you know one millisecond faster. I don't care. Like right now I'm trying to get this project done. I don't care about one millisecond extra speed when I have capacity, when I have the capacity and when I have the project out there and um, like, you know, 10 million people are using it. Yeah. That one millisecond might matter at some point, but before I get to that point, I need to get this done. So that's the mentality that I always have is like, yes, it's important to know how to write efficient code. Sure. But it's more important to complete a project. Cause like you said, Matt, a client doesn't care that you wrote something that's going to be super efficient for your 10, mil- 10 million customers. They care that you completed the project, it works as described, and that's it. Like you can you can talk to them about the fact that you wrote an efficient algorithm all day. They don't care. They're going to ask, well, "Where's the project?" Well, no, I was writing this. I was writing the sort method. Now your your you know your users will be able to sort their profile five milliseconds faster. Yeah, but. Where's the project? Well, I was writing the sort method that took me three months. That's and and that's a perfect that's a perfect example too. Like we're doing, for example, we're doing a a pretty large migration right now. Again, can't get into the details of for what, but we're doing a pretty large migration right now. And like I'm, I was I've been like classically trained in like infrastructure for like a year or so, about two years ish with school, um, and on job training. So like I like. It's kind of my bread and butter, but I also have like I can sometimes get a bit too tied up in the details. I worry too much about like, oh, I got to move these mailboxes like, you know, the other guys had infinite 
you know, space. We can only give them five gig, but like no one's even close to that. Is that okay? The thing is, is like sometimes like there's so many moving parts in a migration, moving sites, moving databases, moving email filters, moving email forwarders, moving email accounts, moving how those how those email accounts work, getting the people connected with the thing. Like it's the list goes on, right? It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Upload limitations like, you know, you could just keep going like you could just go forever and the thing is, is sometimes you just need to make some assumptions. You can't ask the client about absolutely everything unless the situation calls for it, unless it's like for some reason you need it to be absolutely identical. The thing is, is that like, no, I'm going to just assume five gig is good enough for the mailboxes. Why? Because I'm going to do five gig. No one's going to say anything in three years. If someone hits their limit, I'm going to tell them they're at the limit. If that's a problem, we'll upgrade them then. Yep. Like. You know what I mean? There's no point in me call, like engage the client again, engage the client again. And we used to do that in the beginning and it's annoying for us. It's annoying for them. And it's just something that you have to learn. And it's again, that's that's being a, that's being obsessed with efficiency. You want it to be so perfect that it's so seamless when when you do it. Like if you make all these plans and you put the thing together and then it doesn't work, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be clanging on there, you know, figuratively with a sledgehammer, trying to get it to work, getting your tools out, whatever, trying to fix the thing. That's what you got to do. If you were to put it together and the migration works perfect and then the client complains about something, what do you got to do? You got to get in there and fix fix it anyway. So just do it, you know, make sure the data is okay, make sure the site's up, make sure whatever needs to be migrated works for the most part and then have a conversation with them. And then that's it. Exactly. You got to you got to you got to get your job done, essentially. And if the efficiency is st- standing in your way, you have to fight that habit. 100%. Yep. All right. So last one here uh, is not reaching out for help or joining a community. And this one is a little bit like it's, it's one that I still probably suffer from the most um, where I just don't reach out for help in the right amount of time when I should. And it, so it definitely does hurt me in, in more ways than I probably even know. Um, so it's really important to get feedback on projects because you don't know if you're, you know, if your code is clean and you don't know if you're doing the right things for your team. You don't know if, uh, you know, if the, if where you're going in your, in your developer journey is the right direction. Like you might be, you know, very much a good developer. You might be able to get the job done, but maybe the way that you write your structure, your code is really bad for the team to be able to integrate their modules in, right? Like they need to, you need to be able to work better in the team environment and without reaching out and showing code to your team or without reaching out and showing code to a community, even if you're a solo developer, you're never going to know that that's what you're doing because for you, everything's working. It's fine, right? Like you, you understand your code, but if you go out there and, you know, reach out to someone for help and they're like, I have no idea what you wrote here, then you know that that's a blocker for you because now you can never reach out for help. That's it. That's that, that opportunity is gone for you. So it's important, even if you're a solo developer, even if you're just starting out to reach out and try to get your code appraised, try to get your code reviewed, try to go to, you know, group meetings, try to, try to join a, a discord group for like, uh, we have a discord group for HTML, all the things. Uh, just a hat group plug right now. Uh, you can you can Google it. You can find us on on Discord at HTML all the things, um, and and join it. Like there's great developers in there. There's plenty of other groups 
uh, out there. There's plenty of other ways to com- connect to the developer community and get your code reviewed to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Because the earlier you do that, the faster you can get kind of course correct. Because if you're five years down the line and you're writing code, quote unquote, the wrong way, if there is a wrong way, but there probably is, um, it's going to be a lot harder to change your habit of how you're writing your code than it is if you're like the first, you know, in the first few months of writing code or in the first few months of your job. And again, this this applies to both self-starters, this applies to people in, in an industry, like if you're in an agency right now and you just started out and you're afraid to go out there and ask your manager to check out your code because you're afraid of their negative feedback, it's normal to be afraid of your negative feedback, but it's also something that you have to conquer because that negative feedback can make you grow as a developer exponentially quicker than you just sitting back and not listening to someone else's advice. Yeah, I I mean, this one I don't have much to add it, add to because like, I mean, we have our, our hat, you know, Discord group, whatever, but I'm just more introverted naturally. And I remember the other day I had a buddy that was like, oh, you know, uh, I have a Discord group for, I think he plays D&D or something with, a, with like a physical group of people and they converted to digital just due to COVID. And so they like started talking on Discord, I guess. I don't know the full details, but the point is he's like, yeah, so like me and my girlfriend, we're in this Discord group, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm always on Discord, always checking it. I don't have the notifications on, but I'm always just checking it. My girlfriend never checks it. And so we have to like tell her to check it. So when something's like there for her, they have to like tag her or whatever. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like I have a pretty big Discord group and I'm kind of like that. Like I just I'm not I'm like more introverted in that. I just don't reach out. I just don't reach out for people. Uh, You know, I'll chat with Mike and whatever. But like I have like my group of friends, like like physical friends, like people I've like, you know, talked to in person and stuff like that. And that's kind of like what who I talk to. And it's like I really should be leaning on. Uh, disc- I really should be leaning on and being more active in the Discord, the hat Discord. It's just it's just not second nature to me. It's not because I'm ignoring it. It's it's just not second nature. It's like, oh, I built this thing. Cool. I'm going to go watch a movie now. And like, that's my honest thought. I'm not like, oh, man, I'll check what the what, what everyone's doing on Discord. Like, I, it's just not what I do. It's just not what I'm playing. Like, I wake up in the morning and I, like, check, like, Twitter and stuff like this, like, our Twitter and stuff like this, if I post it or whatever. Like, I check the stuff I need to check, my email, blah, 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 whatever. But the point is, is, like, I just don't check. It's just not something in my current habit. So it's almost like a bad habit, you know, title of the episode. It's like, it's, it's almost it's almost like a bad habit because it's a bad habit because of my nature, which is bizarre. It's just sort of like, I'm just introverted. I just don't think of it. And then like, if I actually need something or if I were like, if I'm just like, Oh yeah. We, <laughs> oh yeah. We have a discord. Sounds bad, but it's like, that's actually how I think, I guess as an introvert, it's just, I don't like seek out contact, I guess. I don't know. It, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just, that's just the way it is. It's just, I just don't think of it much. Like, okay. Like, like, Oh, oh, I have the Discord and like I need to go and like talk to some people and I go and I do it. You know, it's pleasant, it's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just something that I it isn't like and I know the extroverts like it's commonly described to me as like they have a need to go out and do stuff where I'm just sort of like, yeah, like whatever. And like that includes like digital interaction too. It's sort of like, yeah, like whatever. <laughs> like, oh, I'll do it when I need to. It's not like I don't like it. It's just like, okay, like I'll just do it when I when I can, do it when I do it when I need to. And I like I literally forget it's around. And I, you know, as I like if I decide to take on something, if I decide like I'm going to build a big project for Hat or something and I'm, I'm going to like start really like, I don't know, learning React or something. I'm just making something up right now. 
You know, I should be leveraging the Discord community. And I probably won't, because I probably won't think of it. Which is which is crazy, but it is a bad habit, and like I should try to correct it. Yeah. So it, it's the same thing for me. And and for me, it's like it's a bad habit because I am more introverted as well. Um, but it's also kind of like a a thing where I'm I am afraid of negative feedback. Right. Like I'm trying to fix that, but I am absolutely afraid of like posting something and pe- people being like, oh, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. That's absolutely a thing. Right. Like, so that's something that you shouldn't be afraid of. And it is a bad habit, but it's absolutely something that I struggle with, I would say. And it's something that I'm going to try to kind of fight my way through and fix it and uh, get better because I know like and I've, I've had this happen literally con- like in a con- consistent fashion when i do get criticism it always leads to me becoming something becoming better right like i have i'm not at the state where like i'm getting a bunch of like random people on twitter yelling at me so i'm not worried about that kind of criticism i'm usually getting pretty good constructive criticism from people that are directly in the industry know what they're talking about and whenever i get that kind of criticism it's never like for me like i'm afraid to get it but when i get it i'm not upset if you know what i mean like I'm okay with them telling me I did this wrong or like there's better ways to do it because at that point I'm like, oh yeah, there is. And then I start to think about all the different ways I could have done it and stuff like that. So it's always been a positive experience for me, but it's still, it's still like, because I've been kind of, maybe, maybe it's again, back to that like traditional schooling thing where like anytime you get something marked, you have that anxiety of like having a bad mark and you, it's, it's usually a negative experience because the criticism given in school is usually really shitty. It's usually like, you know, you got an F, there's no explanation or F because, you know, you, you suck at writing. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just it's, yeah. it was it was mostly a shitty experience to get criticism in school. So now you're afraid to get criticism, even though the professional criticism that I've gotten after school has been mostly, if not all, positive. Well, it's because you have time. Like the thing with school, too, is like, I mean, it depends on what, what, what level of schooling you're at. But there is like this whole thing where it's like if you take like math class or uh, something that's more robotic. It's like or more technical, I suppose, but it's like every day you're you're doing something new and you're doing it under like the same blanket, say like a unit. The unit lasts a month, let's say, but every single day you're doing a new topic under that unit, maybe every day, maybe every other day. But if you suck at like the first couple of things, I mean, when are you going to go back? Whereas like like what like when like are you going to spend like are you going to spend your time? Uh, doing additional questions uh, when that topic is now gone. Like you got your F and now you got to move on to the next unit. Whereas professionally, if you get an F when you make a website because it looks like crap or whatever, it runs like garbage or whatever the problem is, then you can work on making better websites. And you can work on that for you know an indefinite amount of time, let's say. Or at least more time. But... Because there's nothing saying to you, well, Mike, you better get on to app development, <laughs> you know, you know, like, but that is how school is like, it, oh, Mike, your your WordPress uh, workflow sucks, but we're on app development now. So how's that? app? De- you know, like it just like nonsense. Uh, and I think that that you're right. Like, I think it also kind of ties back to the traditional school system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, with that, um, I think we are donezo with the uh bad habits for web developers uh do you want to move on to weekly growth goals i do indeed yeah so i mean you're first on this show note list so i'll just let you go first again let's do it uh so my weekly growth goal last week was getting prepped for this big meeting big work meeting that i had and i did get prepped had a great meeting everything's kind of moving forward with that whole project so my next 
weekly growth goal is actually create show notes, which we haven't done in a while um, because we haven't had a website to put them on. But what I'm going to do in the interim. <laughs> Don't, is, that, is that like, is that, is that you poking no, I, fun? That was you not, put, that I'm was getting, not no, an actual stab. I'm getting out of here. That's it. No. <laughs> that was not a stab at you. But regardless, like we just haven't had a website to put the show notes on. But I feel like that's an excuse at this point and i think we need to get them out there so what i'm going to do is i'm going to take the show notes that we already have and it's not going to be for every episode obviously because we've missed a lot uh it's going to be for some of the bigger episodes and what i want to do is i want to package them into something like a show notes plus more uh package and i'm going to put them on dev.2 so i don't have a link for you or anything right now but hopefully in the next week's episode i'll tell you where to find them on dev.2 so you can go back and kind of look at the show notes that at least I deemed important enough to put up there. I'm not going to put them all up at once. Obviously, I'm going to start one at a time. I'm going to do it in phases like I was talking about. Otherwise, I'm going to overwhelm myself. But regardless, that's kind of one of my goals. I want to get as much information out there to everyone as possible in written format so that the people that can't listen to the whole thing or want a companion piece to the podcast can go back and refer to some of the things that we talked about. Yeah, I think we do need we do need show notes like I mean, it's going to be a big part of our site, big part of the content, obviously, on there. Uh, sites in progress. And speaking of my weekly growth goal, so my weekly growth goal, I probably should have tweeted or said something about this. My weekly growth goal actually changed midweek. Um, so we had a, a just a, a ridiculous amount of like client work I'm flying in and it's still flying in, uh, which is like really not usual. Like it's just a big flow. So, you know, got to be got to deal with it. Um, got to uh, uh, got to do it, basically. So um you know, not complaining. So basically, I switched my growth goal is basically what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't have a, a, a catchy way to say that yet. <laughs> the weekly growth goal switch. I don't know something. But anyway, um, I switched my weekly growth goal over to uh, we have two major projects that were on the go that we had all the requirements for and everything else just had to be done. And I was going to do 50% of it last week as of recording this last week. I was going to do 50% of each. And then this week I was going to do the last 50%. And then there was a migration, like I mentioned, that we have to do. Uh, I ended up just going on a roll on the first project and said, you know what? I'm so familiar with this UI and setup right now. I'm just going to work on this one project. And that was last week. And I just literally killed the whole thing. It's done. It's over. Like even the little intricacies, it's done. So, uh, I mean, that's not to toot my own horn, but that's pretty good. So, <laughs> so, um, I'm done that. It's over. Uh, so I just got to basically, I'm going to hand, basically effectively, quote unquote, hand the keys. I usually wait a couple of days to hand the keys to the client or tell them it's done just because I like to sort of think or even look through it sometimes to make sure I didn't miss anything, especially if the deadline's not like whatever, but I'm way earlier than the deadline. So I got one full project just done. That's done. So now my next one is I'm going to try, although I don't think I'm going to finish it this week, but I want good progress on this second one. Uh, the second one is actually less work but more intricate so i'm working on that uh but yeah like i just i probably should like i said i probably should have tweeted or something that i switched my weekly growth goal but um but yeah we we even have more client work coming in like we got some people that like i've hardly talked to yet we got people coming in so like i mean it's i mean it's good to be busy that's good you know i'm not complaining of course uh but it's just it's got to be dealt with and uh, i mean i'm willing to make the weekly growth goal flexible enough to deal with that just because in this industry feast or famine is usually the name of the game and uh, right now apparently we're feasting uh, all, of, all of a sudden too usually there's some telltale signs and this time it was just sort of like and by the way better keep an eye on that email because we're just going to constantly send you stuff but uh yeah like i said good to be busy uh not complaining that way and um want to want to 
that second project that I want 50% on, that's my weekly growth goal. I want to finish, let's say I want to finish at least 50% of that. Let's just say that. Uh, but I'll probably end up finishing a little more, but won't complete it. Uh, all that, like not quite. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm at currently. And um, uh, I don't I don't know when our web news is going to air because it is rather late here as of recording this. Um just due to all the craziness and uh, Mike had an appointment earlier, so we had to change our recording time. So if you're looking for the web news, uh, we do have a web news topic. I don't know whether it's going to come out uh, at its normal time and date or whether it's just going to come out at some point, but just keep it locked to our feed. Uh, and it's going to be about uh, kind of, I don't know what the, the formal topic would be, but it's going to cover what I said earlier, which is just trying a bunch of different things and see what sticks. And it's going to be specifically about our situation, but in relation to a bunch of things that we've seen online, passive income initiatives and stuff like this. So it should be an interesting one. Uh, I hope you enjoy it once that comes out. And uh, remember, we're on Patreon if you want to support the show. Uh, we're at That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out those tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com jason from geek life radio via geekliferadio.com feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on and we are signing off you've been listening to html all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything until next time this is html all the things Signing off.